0: My mother-in-law, female, 59, and I, male, 36, have been having an emotional affair for two years. I'll start by saying the initial infatuation was all me. I've been married for 16 years, but never thought of my mother-in-law in that way. In fact, I thought she was obnoxious, and apparently she thought the same of me. My work relocated us to her town. Being in the same city, we were often working on things together. Things like she needed help painting a room or she needed help around the house. Neither of us really sought the other. Spending the time with her, I began to get to know her and eventually I found myself attracted to her. It actually didn't hit me until I had a dream about her. At this point, I feel like I should give some backstory. My father-in-law, which is her husband, had been bedridden for seven years. Overall, his health isn't good. I'm married to her daughter, of course, but it hasn't been good for a while. Without going into details, I can't leave, at least not until our children are out of the house. Now back to my mother-in-law and I. As we spent time together, I came to realize she faced almost the same things with her husband, as I'm currently going through with her daughter. Unfortunately, my father-in-law was diagnosed in the middle of her children becoming adults, and so she had to choose to stay with him to the end. In short, she has been unhappy in her marriage far longer than her husband has been bedridden. During our time together, we have both opened up and shared the difficulties we both face. We grew close and began trusting each other. I made the first move one November night as we hung Christmas lights around her house. She got up on a ladder and I supported her so she wouldn't fall by holding her butt. She never said anything or moved once. The rush was exhilarating. Obviously I'm a grown man and I have touched a butt before but the fact that I was doing this with her was a new experience. I didn't know how to feel when I got home and thought it was over later that night. Nothing changed between us, but I retreated into myself and tried to put those thoughts out of my head. At this point, I would regularly meet her for breakfast on Saturday, and my actions didn't change this. The next weekend, we greeted each other as normal. A few weeks went by and I had put it behind me. That was until one night I had a work dinner event and with a few shots of liquid courage, messaged her to see what she was doing at midnight she applied with a few jokes i can't remember but needless to say i ended up at her house not wasted but buzzed enough i flirted with her to come outside and meet me she was happy to see me when i pulled up she climbed into my truck and we chatted about my night for a bit then she got a call from my father-in-law asking about the security sensors going off she told him that i stopped by and that she would be in shortly she hung up and invited me in so i could finish catching her up I went inside, spoke to my father-in-law. I apologized for the late visit. He said it was fine. We chatted for a few minutes and then went back to sleep. She and I finished our conversation in the living room. Somewhere in between us talking about my night, she congratulated me on my recent promotion and said she wishes she was able to come out to celebrate. She didn't need to explain, but she did anyways. She said that taking care of my father-in-law took most of her time, so she couldn't be anywhere too long. For whatever reason, I told her that we could celebrate there and now. I had two bottles of wine in my truck that were gifted to me on the night of my promotion. She eagerly agreed and said it was an excellent idea. So we opened one bottle and settled in the dining room to chat. Halfway into the bottle, I started to feel that I might need to go home soon before I wouldn't be able to. She seemed to be enjoying herself and not wanting to leave. We both agreed that we would finish the bottle and I would call an Uber to take me home. We sat there for another hour or so chatting and laughing until we finished the bottle. I checked for an Uber, but there were none available, which she then suggested we could crack into the other bottle while we waited. I agree and ended up drinking the entire second bottle with her. At which point, like clockwork, I received a notification from Uber that it was five minutes out. She walked me outside and we chatted while we waited. When I could see the Uber was right around the corner, I hugged her goodbye. The hug lasted about 10 seconds, but in my mind, it lasted forever. We both lingered and I even managed to tell her that I had a great night with her after we were hugging. Before we let go, I gave her one last squeeze and kissed her on the neck. I'll be honest, I intended to kiss her on the cheek, but the high of a long hug and my inebriation landed the kiss on her neck between her shoulders and ears. I got into the Uber and was off to my house. I should add that my wife was at an expo for work. The entire ride home, I thought about the hug and my kiss. I finally arrived home and got ready for bed. As I laid in bed, I kept thinking of her and what just had happened. I finally drifted to sleep. Another few weeks go by and once again I found myself drinking. This time it was to celebrate my friend getting promoted as well. It was just us guys, so there was no decorum or wine involved. Instead, it was a whole bunch of bourbon. Luckily, we rented a limo bus for the evening, so no one had to drive. Unluckily, there was more booze on the bus. By the time I got home, I was so hammered, I don't remember messaging her. Apparently, I told her that I had planned our next week's breakfast to a new spot further away and how special it would be if we could get away from them even for a bit. I didn't realize how flirty and direct it had been until the next day when I read the message. I was mortified. To my surprise, she replied later that afternoon telling me how excited she was and how amazing the date sounded. Not to brush over it, but we did end up going on that date and it was great, but there was no flirting or anything of the sort when we did go. It was no different from having our usual breakfast. To this day, I don't know if she expected more Or if she was happy, I found us a new place and we were experiencing something new together. I'm sure I'm overthinking it. A few months later, we find ourselves renovating her kitchen. This was like a two-week undertaking. In that time, I once again grabbed her butt, to which she never objected. I'd like to think it wasn't my imagination, but a few times she pressed her chest against me as she looked at patterns. She also backed her butt up against me as she inspected the pantry, which was a tight space. I don't mean to come across as a frisky teenager, but her butt was pressed against me for a whole good five seconds. Little touches here and there occurred throughout the whole project. On the last weekend, we were cleaning up the dust when the vacuum filter exploded and dust went everywhere. We quickly ran to the backyard and helped dust each other off. She brushed my back off my jeans, my face and various other places. After this, I felt comfortable and brave enough. So I returned the favor and began dusting her off until eventually I was brushing her chest for about 10 seconds, after which she said, "Okay, I'm good. And I thought I was in trouble. Clearly, there was no way around it. I was groping her. It wasn't until a few seconds later that I understood I wasn't in trouble. She was noticeably excited. I had turned her on and that was the reason she asked me to stop. A few weeks later, feeling braver, I jokingly asked her to a movie date. She liked and agreed to the date. I felt reassured and confident by the fact that she replied with yes to the date night. We planned on ordering dinner from this new Italian restaurant, a bottle of wine, and a new movie. During the course of our date, she complained that she had a tension headache. I began to rub her scalp, ears, and then her shoulders, all while joking around about it being an age-old Chinese secret that I made up. About 20 minutes in, she thanked me but said she was good. Her tone seemed uncomfortable. Once again, I thought maybe I had done too much in my buzz state by moving lower. But to my surprise again, a few seconds later, I realized that she wasn't uncomfortable. It was because I once again had turned her on. She was flushed in the face and had to excuse herself to go to the bathroom, and returned more composed. That night we both drank a little more than we intended to, so she suggested I sleep for a bit in the guest bedroom before I drive home. She readied the guest bedroom as I watched. I so desperately wanted to hold her, cuddle her, and even more. We hugged and kissed on the cheek goodnight. She went to her room and left me in the guest room. As I laid in bed, I fantasized about going to her room and making her mine. I thought about what excuses would be acceptable if things didn't work out as I fantasized. In the end, it did nothing and simply laid there in frustration. It's been a total of two and a half years of this flirtatious behavior. I'd like to think of it as not all in my head, especially after seeing her eyes longing for me and staying longer anytime I have to leave after spending a day with her. My dilemma is I know she wants me as much as I want her, but through our talks, I don't think she can betray her husband, despite her disregard and her discontent with him. And more importantly, she couldn't betray her daughter, again, despite their estranged relationship. In the end, I think I'll make my move after her husband passes. This probably makes me sound like a horrible person, I know. But her daughter and I are nearing divorce they have no relationship and as I've said more or less are estranged but I have to know the answer to the burning question this is a real story if anyone has real advice other than the typical penthouse forum or just bang her I'd be open to hear it and I'm also aware there are many men that claim the same only to have fabricated everything in their heads but the interaction and her behavior above cannot be a coincidence or my own delusions the original post ends there but there was a comment that the OP replied to that added more information. The comment reads, how about getting a divorce and seeing if there's anything else out there? What do you want? A fling? A soulmate? Another marriage? Any answer? Is it even possible with her? Is this anything more than trauma bonding? And more importantly, can you betray someone? And can you let someone you care about betray someone else? I ain't got no advice for you. I only got more questions. To which the OP responds, Honestly, for me, divorce is on the horizon. I know this story shows the dark side of me, but I've tried to keep us together. I won't go into it, but I've legit talked to my wife about getting a third party professional to help us with our marriage. She simply doesn't want to go. I've gone alone to see if I could better us. In the end, all I'll say is that the relationship is exactly what I asked myself. At what point, per society's eyes, am I not the jerk? At what point am I going to be the douche that left his poor wife? At what point am I allowed to say that I tried and gave it my all? I know that this part of my life is wrong. I know that this doesn't justify my or our actions. I'm not here to be judged. I simply came here to share my story and get advice, however messed up it is. For the future, I know that in general, I don't want to get married again. I don't see the point. I'm not saying I will never find love again or that I'll die alone. I just don't see the point of legally binding myself to another person. I have my children. I lived my life with my wife. Anything after that doesn't require me to marry anyone. As from what I want for her, I want her physically as long as we can or are able to. It may sound strange to others, but I care about my mother-in-law. I can't speak for her part if she chooses to betray anyone. Speaking for myself, I have no negative or positive feelings towards my father-in-law. He and my wife aren't monsters, but they aren't saints. As I write these last sentences, I'm reminded that we aren't anyone to judge others as we don't know the whole story. Is cheating bad? Yes. Should I just leave? Yes. But there are reasons I won't. And if you ask my father-in-law or my wife, they would argue that they not be left divorced. But let me know. Am I the jerk? I did see another comment on this post that said this was like a movie and I totally agree. Usually, depending on what website you're watching this movie on, the outcome can be very different. Personally, this does seem a little bit like trauma bonding where two people relate and get attached because of similar traumas they've both experienced. I know the taboo is always curious, but sometimes you gotta stop and think about the outcomes. Something like this would definitely spread like wildfire between families and this OP would totally be the villain. Unless this mother-in-law is J-Lo or Selma Hayek, I don't think it's worth the trouble. But hey, different strokes for different folks. So your vehicles hold their value? We'll see about that. Back in 2015, I had a 2011 Dodge Caliber. That was beginning to give me some issues. After some research, I found out that the fuse box in the engine compartment was slowly malfunctioning and causing my car to act weird after about an hour of driving. I was on the market looking for a new car as I basically deemed it being time to get me something more suitable for my everyday needs. Not long after, I found the car I was looking for, which was a Kia Sorento. I rented it when the girlfriend and I went on a trip to Seattle, and I immediately was thrown away with how much space was inside the Sorento and that it had a four-cylinder turbocharged engine. I looked at my girlfriend and said, First thing I'm doing once we're back home is going to Kia and getting the Sorento. So once I get back home, I reach out to a family friend who is a finance manager for several dealerships, hoping he would have a contact at Kia. Instead, I got told that he would call me back. My brother then calls me and says he wants to go with me to go check out Jeeps. I told him I was not interested, but he insisted that you will be much happier with the Jeep. I also want to go to see if I can consolidate my cars. To indulge my brother's request, I agree and he meets me at the dealership. In any case, the closest vehicle they had on the lot that would even come close to the Kia Sorento was a Jeep Grand Cherokee. As I am perusing the lot, my brother shows up with my sister-in-law. My brother is driving a 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee, and my sister-in-law is driving their 2012 Kia Forte. Both of their cars appear to be in immaculate condition, and both with less than 20,000 miles. We walk in, and I get taken away by one of the sales reps, while another sales rep talks to my brother and sister-in-law. I begin to tell the sales rep that I want to trade in my car for the Grand Cherokee and go on to say that I am trying to keep my bill under a thousand a month. That means that I want to even get a base model as long as it has towing capability. I found the exact one I wanted for 45,000, which would later come up to 53,000 after taxes and fees. We go back to his office to run numbers and the sales rep comes back and asks if I'm willing to put another 5,000 down. At this point, I was confused. I have always prided myself in having great credit, and I have a very long history of always taking care of my credit. I had also explained that I was already putting $5,000 down. So why do another 5,000? After I say no, the guy walks away and talks to what appears to be the sales manager. After some back and forth, the guy comes back with the manager in tow. The sales rep sits down and the manager says, listen, these are jeeps you're looking into. I won't lie to you. If you don't put another 5,000 down, you are looking at a monthly bill of 1,200. That confused the hell out of me as I realized that the bill I'd pay after 60 months, that would be in the ballpark of 72,000. So I said, I need to see the numbers you are crunching because this is definitely not adding up. How does a bill that after everything is said and done at 53,000 suddenly equate to 72,000? The sales rep looks at the manager and the manager just looks back at the rep and just says, listen, they are Jeeps. They retain their value. If you can't afford it, then we can't help you. So I cut my losses and start heading out when I remember that my brother was there with a Jeep looking to trade it in. So cue my malicious compliance. I quickly beeline straight to the office my brother and sister-in-law are in just at the right time. They had just received the appraisal reports for both vehicles, but I was mostly interested in the Jeep Grand Cherokee. As I walk in, the sales rep working with them stops and asks what I am doing. And I say, don't worry, I'm with them. That's my brother and that's my sister-in-law. So the guy doesn't mind, and just as he is about to give the discussion of the report, the sales manager walks in and says, if you guys aren't gonna buy a car today, please leave. What's wrong? I just came over here to wait for my brother who's trying to consolidate his vehicles. I believe your sales rep just needs to discuss the appraisal report. The manager then says, he doesn't have to discuss that in front of you. I then looked at my brother and said, do you give me consent to be here while the report is read? And my brother immediately said, yeah, that's fine. At that point, the sales manager basically grabbed the reports and tore them up in front of us and said, we will no longer be doing business with you, leave now. Immediately after that, I called my buddy again and asked if he worked with the specific Kia dealership I had in mind. And within one hour, he traded my Dodge Caliber for a Kia Sorento I wanted. At that moment, my brother and sister-in-law saw the Sorrento and both agreed that it was significantly more spacious than the Grand Cherokee. Oh, and to add insult to injury, my family friend actually was able to pull up the report of the appraisal. The 2014 Grand Cherokee was purchased at $37,000 and in one year with 1,500 miles had dropped the value to 18000 No accidents, no mechanical problems, no issues with the body, just suddenly depreciated. So much for holding their value. But let me know, am I the jerk? Shopping for cars is the worst. I remember when I was looking to buy my first brand new vehicle a few years ago, I went into a dealership near my job and asked if I could test drive a Scion. I wasn't sold on the car, but a friend of mine spoke highly of theirs. After the test drive, they always wanna talk numbers. I told them that I wasn't ready for that, but of course they insisted. So I humor them and tell them that I won't pay anything more than $400 a month, and that I want the car at a certain price point. This is when the dealership starts the good cop, bad cop routine. If you've never heard of this, pay close attention. You see, the first sales guy I dealt with just magically got sick out of nowhere after I told him the numbers I was looking at. So salesman number two comes in, and this is bad cop. And he tries to basically intimidate me into changing my mind by saying that I'm getting a great deal and that I would basically be foolish for not taking the offer. I had already expected this and I told them, well, then bring back my keys or ID. I'm not really sure what they had of mine, but I knew that they had something that I couldn't just walk out. So Bad Cop leaves all mad and then Good Cop shows up, a far less aggro type of guy that tries to see what's wrong and what he can do to make things right for me. I just straight up tell him that he can give me my stuff because I'm done here, and that is what he can do. Once he knows that I'm not changing my mind, i brought my stuff and I go out the door. It was totally a terrible experience. I did end up buying a car a few months later from a different place, and I will say, if you get a chance, try to speak to an older car salesman because I feel like they are nicer and they care more about customer service. At least that's what happened when I finally bought my car. I'm 23 and I've ruined my life. I'm sure many of you think I deserve it. And maybe you're right. Just save the comments. Anything you say, I already tell myself almost daily. 11 years ago, I was dating a woman who was absolutely crazy, like dropped my dog off on the side of the road, stole my dead mother's engagement ring, harassed my parents for breaking up with her for cheating types of crazy. I also have severe bipolar disorder leaning towards mania. At this point, I was undiagnosed, but very manic most of the time. This will be relevant later. I had someone, a local bar owner, come to me and a friend asking us to set his competition on fire. I was desperate unemployed and he offered me enough to pay my bills for two more months. Since my water had already been turned off and I was lucky to eat once every two days because of this dismal state and my friend not much better, we both agreed. Later I found out this friend and two others were sleeping with my girlfriend. I learned this after the fact when I got my paperwork in jail. This translated to pillow talk that led her in on the whole plot. After a while, I backed out. I was afraid of jail and would rather risk homelessness. Unfortunately, by now I knew everything and my friends still told me every little detail. There were three attempts to burn the bar down. The first was the ceiling and it failed to light. The second was in the closet in the bathroom. The fire department put it out, but the bar was back open the next day. The third, a garden sprayer full of gasoline was used across the back of the building and it lit. This time it burned down. After successfully burning the bar, my friend came to my house to brag. Shortly after the third and final attempt, my GF's infidelity came to light and I dumped her and all hell broke loose. As she was getting her things from my house, I was at my grandfather's house. She went through my safe that I had stupidly left open and stole my mother's ring. Took my dog and dropped her off on the side of the road and eventually started harassing my parents to get in touch with me when I stopped answering her calls. Knowing the plot, she went to the police and told them that I was responsible for burning the bar down. I was arrested by the ATF outside of the apartment I was about to lose anyways and was taken in for questioning. I hadn't eaten in three days at the time or showered in a week. I was extremely naive, immature, and manic. They gave me food and I told them everything. Again, I'm not proud of my actions. They put me in a hotel and gave me $500. I was finally able to shower and do laundry. They asked me to wear a wire for them against the guy that organized it, and I did. I gave them everything they wanted without hesitation, thinking I was being rewarded for doing the right thing a few months later i found a job waiting tables and while in my car was working my way back and saving one of the officers called me and invited me for coffee when we met he served me a federal indictment still very naive i didn't worry I accepted it thinking nothing was going to happen and this was a formality. I went on with my day and went to court when I was supposed to. I got to my arraignment and my public defender pulled me aside and told me I'm pleading not guilty. I responded, but I am guilty. And he told me just to keep quiet. After my arraignment, I was detained and taken to the county jail because I had no address to be released to. The official charge was conspiracy to commit arson. Over the next eight months, I went through the court process and took a plea deal for my cooperation. I was sentenced to a year and a day. The extra day made me eligible for good time. So I was released after 10 and a half months. I spent almost two months in federal prison. I was also sentenced to pay jointly the restitution of several hundred thousand dollars. After I was released, I got on a bus across country with $120 in my pocket. I started over with no friends, no family, no job and nowhere to go. I made my regular mandated 200 month restitution payments for a while, fell on hard times, missed a few months, and now I'm having my wages garnished. My life has effectively been ruined and I've got nobody to blame but myself. I don't tell anyone about this for obvious reasons. A select few of my friends know about it, but they don't know the details. Again, for obvious reasons. It's been 11 years since this all happened and I still have nightmares. I'm now 34, but let me know. Am I the jerk? This was pretty heavy and I actually feel for the OP. I can relate to having to deal with a crazy ex. I dated someone for five years that used to do substances before we got together and always had cravings to do them again, which I was told by a friend near the end of our relationship that she ended up doing. After I broke up with her, she would call me talking about harming herself and ending it. She also would call my mom and tell her that she was pregnant and this made my mom think I was the father, which I wasn't. And when I got a new girlfriend, she checked herself into a crisis center and called my mom to have her tell me. It was a crazy time and has definitely made me hesitant to relationships or people similar to her since then. Be careful who you choose to spend your time with. It might just end up ruining your life. That's it for today's video. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on any content, hit that subscribe button and make sure you hit that bell to turn on notifications. If you want to finish listening to all those stories, use the playlist at the top of the description. And if you're someone who live streams and needs copyright-free music, check out the Cream of the Crop music by searching Cream of the Stream on Spotify or whatever music platform you choose. Remember, it's free.